And welcome to another episode of the Sig Marxism Podcast. I am your host, Sam, and this episode, as always, will be edited by Rich. Thank you so much, Rich. We really appreciate everything that you do. And, of course, as usual, I am joined by Alex. How are you doing, Alex? Yeah, um, you, you've tied me up. I'm, I've been taken hostage and forced to do this loathsome 40K episode. Um, so I... Yep, that, yep, Alex is now tied up in a room, uh, Bader-Meinhof style. Uh, by, of course, our beloved Lars, who's joining us today. Uh, Lars, how are you doing today? Uh, pretty all right. I, for one, am chuffed to be on a 40K podcast, so uh, <laughs> Alex uh, can just deal. All righty. Uh, so, Lars, how are you involved in the hobby? Um, like, what, what, what made you interested? Uh, how did you hear about Warhammer or 40K, maybe more specifically for you? Um, how did you get involved in all of this nonsense? <laughs> well, I go, uh, like, way back when to when I was, I don't know, probably like 11 or 12 or something. I used to be really into what at the time was Warhammer Fantasy. And uh, then, you know, high school happened and school happened and college happened and no money happened. And so I kind of drifted away from it. And then actually uh, about the start, uh, about about almost a year ago now, I was actually out of work for a while <laughs> due to a uh, injury. So I had a lot of time to just sit around and try and come up with ways to entertain myself. And I was like, you know, I'll just see what Warhammer is doing. And uh, yeah, I got back on the bandwagon in a big way and uh, went out and started buying Astra Militarum stuff. And, uh, well, here I am. All right, awesome. Uh, just out of curiosity, what was the uh, Warhammer fantasy faction that you started with? <laughs> it was uh, the uh, the analog uh, Astra Militarum, if you will. So uh, Empire. The Empire? Yeah. <laughs> there there, there, there definitely does seem to be a maybe not a hundred one to one ratio, but uh, there's a pretty high ratio of like people who are who are mad the empire got squatted and people who play uh, Astro Guard in there, especially at least in my local area. <laughs> yeah, no, for sure. I mean, I think that like a lot of if you like the themes um, of the one faction in the one setting, you're, you're gonna the other one is probably going to appeal. Yeah, I, I definitely think it's a, the kind of combined themes of regular dudes versus in this like a magical uh fantastic world it's like what what tends to really appeal like combine the interests of sorts yeah 100 percent. that uh it's that underdog oh yeah definitely uh okay so well today we are going to be talking about the imperial guard games workshop is not really giving us any much news to work with it's going to be space marines on top of space marines with a side of space marines and an additional space marines uh I'm, of course, very excited because I play Iron Hands, so we got amazing chapter tactics, and maybe uh, post down in the comments below, uh, give us a reply if you want us to do a codex review or a lore review of the Space Marine Codex, but I'm a little Space Marine out right now, and I'd much, much rather talk about my other hobby horse, the Imperial Guard, or Astra Militarum, as GW has given them the term when they found out that they couldn't copyright imperial guard which i don't know why they wouldn't let them copyright uh such a specific term like imperial guard but uh you know it's we're stuck shame. with Astro Militarum. 
because if they if GW would be able to copyright imperialism, that would just solve you know that that would create world peace. We'd no longer have the problems that we have in the world. No one would be yeah. able to do it, or GW would sue them. Yeah, if uh, if the courts had allowed them to do the imperial guard, do you think like the the GW lawyers would have gone to like the U.S. Army and stuff and been like, listen, you you gotta knock off this imperialism shit and gone up to a uh, I guess Theresa May <laughs> later on just to be like, hey. We've got the copyright. Listen, we're not trying to step on any toes or anything, but uh, copyright law, trademark law is what trademark is. I'm sorry, guys, but Guard is actually a registered trademark of Games Workshop PLC, so we're going to have to ask you to cease and desist. (laughs) (laughs) No Uh, security guards allowed. All all shops open. Um, anyone can take what they want. Basically, what we're saying is extremely litigious old GW would usher in a new age of anarchy. And possibly peace, uh, a sort of totalitarian peace. If yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, anarchy in the sense of anarchism, aka good, not anarchy in the sense of uh, you know a fifteen-year-old who thinks it means people hitting each other all the time. Yeah, uh, you know, having a, a nice T-shirt that they got from Hot Topic for uh, fifteen ninety-nine uh, that says you know fuck the rules, or the, the actually fuck would be censored because it'd be at Hot Topic, so it would be F asterisk CK the rules. I mean, I think that that is exactly what Kropotkin had in mind. It definitely is. Um, But Lars, before we get too more off topic, uh, who are the Imperial Guard? Or if you're Games Workshop and you want to enforce your trademarks, the Astra Militarum, which is a name that I truly, truly loathe. (laughs) Well, the uh, Astra Militarum TM are uh, the largest armed force of the Imperium of Man. So, of course, everyone knows the Space Marines, uh, but they are, in fact, a tiny elite um, force of the Imperium, and the the, the backbone of the uh, Imperial military are the uh, Astra Militarum TM. So uh, these guys are essentially just standard humans. Um, They're not genetically engineered, they're not even particularly well-equipped, who are uh, drafted by their respective planetary governors or, um, yeah, by, by sort of the respective authorities of their planets, um, sent to uh, serve as basically the frontline combat troops of the Imperium. So uh, they're not uh, as tough, they're not as well-equipped, uh, none of that as, as the Space Marines are or any of the other... Uh, poster boys of uh, the Imperium, but uh, what they lack in training and equipment, they make up for in raw tenacity. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the, the the classic Imperial Guard stories of just like defeating like two Chaos Space Marines for like one billion Guardsmen, and it's like, this is a victory. <laughs> yeah, the, uh, We have more Guardsmen than you have bullets. It's, it's uh, very much... Uh, if you think of all of the dumb stereotypes of like the Soviet Union's tactics in World War II, such so as like mass human wave tactics and just, you know, th- for every three soldiers, there's one gun. And when your comrade fires, ju- uh, when your comrade falls, just pick up his gun and keep shooting. All of that is the literal truth for the Astro Militarum. <laughs> what? You're, you, you mean to tell me the enemy of the gates wasn't a accurate, <laughs> an accurate war film, accurate documentary? Uh, it's, I mean, it's a, a shining example of um, meticulous research. I'm sure. Yeah, I was like, I was like, oh, Jude, Jude Law lying to me. Oh, I'll never, I'll never forgive. Look at Jude Law ever again the same way. So yeah, we're talking about the Imperial Guard and just kind of the, 
uh, I mean, they're they're an incredibly popular faction. Like, it, it, uh, to say that they're like not, they're definitely nowhere near as popular as the Space Marines because they kind of they lack the power fantasy that comes with being a Space Marine or like collecting Space Marines sort of deal, which I definitely think has put a damper on their appeal because, like as you said, they're just regular humans. Most of them have been conscripted from their planet to to feed the uh, greed of some planetary governors. Uh, mandatory imperial tithes and uh they're just sent off to some unknown fringe of the galaxy to eventually die yeah the uh the 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 statement is always that the average life expectancy of a guardsman on the front line is measured in hours so (laughs) (laughs) yeah uh and and you become a veteran if you survive literally one single battle (laughs) it's like congratulations you're a veteran now (laughs) just all that all right so I kind of want to talk about the inspiration for the guard a little bit. So there's like so many, like there's not, it's interesting that there's not too many novels for the Imperial guard considering their popularity model wise, because like the most famous stories for the guard is kind of the same ones that have been around. Even when I first started uh, in fifth edition, I can't even recall what the, when these were, these were published. They might have been published before me, but you have like dead men walking, with uh, the Death Corps of Krieg, you have Rebels Winter, uh, which is the Vostroyans. Uh, there's a Catachan Omnibus. Uh, that one I actually haven't read too much because Catachan are too interesting of a regiment for me. And then, of course, the, the one that everyone knows is 15 Hours, which is uh, kind of like all which is kind of just like all quiet on the Western Front in the 41st millennium sort of deal where you're drafted, sent off to a war that you don't know, and then you were about to immediately die. So, mm-hmm. yeah, it's, so uh, what you're saying is very apolitical, right? Because you, you were telling me how much you thought uh, All's Quiet on the Western Front is a very apolitical book and film. Oh, I mean, yeah. I, I think if you take away anything from All Quiet on the Western Front, it's, uh, it's got to be that war is unquestionably cool, um, that everyone involved <laughs> is a badass, and that there's just so much honor uh, involved in the entire thing that really, at the end of the day, I mean, it was all worth it. All of it was worth it. Yeah, World War One was a particularly productive war, and uh, not not too wasteful. It was a a good war, as the as the British officers would put it, a good war. Yeah. Uh, so, so Lars, I kind of want to talk about like the influences that because because everything in Games Workshop is like basically. Is like nothing in its original, uh, like this, the idea, like the Space Marines. Uh, I mean, 40k as a whole settings borrowed very, very heavily from Dune, uh, to say the least. So, like, uh, what I want to talk about, like, some of the inspirations you think from like the Imperial Guard standpoint, like maybe in literature or film that they've kind of taken for it. Yeah, well, um, not to uh, give too much of a history here, but uh, I was doing some prep work by looking at the old Rogue Trader. And um, so in your very first edition, Rogue Trader, which uh, is notorious for being a sort of it's pretty far out there, it doesn't very closely resemble uh, what we later end up with. Um, they're sort of your, your stock standard. Um, I mean, they've got like a very like, you know, Judge Dredd 2008, like the British long running, like British sci-fi um, comic series look. Um, so I think it's fair to say that really like visually and um, in terms of like flavor, uh, they're, they're, I mean, they're really drawing primarily on Starship Troopers um, and all of the sort of derivative, like, I mean, it was a hugely influential novel. Um, and it, of course, like, I think pretty much any kind of military sci-fi that you look at it, since it was published in what, 19, 
Uh, yeah, yeah, but by Robert Heinlein. Yeah, exactly. Definitely, so, definitely not a fascist. Uh, he's he's uh, he, he wears many hats. Sometimes he is a lunar libertarian. Uh, sometimes he thinks that citizenship should be given in exchange for military service. So, you know, make it that way, you will. <laughs> yeah, Starship Troopers, another apolitical novel. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> uh, service guarantees and ships. Yeah, so I think really it's, I mean, I, I think it, it's kind of hard to point to one individual source. Um, like the, the, the visuals are... I mean, the Aliens, you cannot talk about influences on the Imperial Guard without mentioning the James Cameron uh, Aliens film, because, uh, I mean, that is what they are. They are uh, the guys who get sent into the uh, reactor to deal with the xenomorphs and uh, unfortunately are not up to the task. Yeah, nowhere near equipped to a, like, <laughs> like three hours of training and then they're sent to fight the most horrible, terrifying things in all the galaxy. <laughs> And then I think, um, like, they definitely grew a lot as a faction, um, sort of over the various versions. So, um, like, the the earliest uh, source books and, and models and so on, they were they were you know aliens by way of starship troops, pretty much. And by the early '90s, I want to say second edition, um, they become so much more. So initially, they release uh, after the first batch of kind of goofy, like hockey equipment looking dudes, like extras in a Judge Dredd comic. Um, and then, uh, so the first, like, uh, regiment with its own real identity to be released is um, the Valhallen Ice Warriors, who are very near and dear to my heart. Uh, and they're essentially, I mean, not essentially, they are uh, the Red <laughs> Army in space. Um, they have the, the long coats, they have the fur hats, uh, except that they got laser guns, you know, which is cool. Um, and then there follows all of these sorts of other... Uh, regiments um, over the next while, you know, who in in lore are, you know, drawn from various planets with different cultures. So you have your Talon Desert Raiders, who I suppose are sort of, I don't know, they're the, the guys who uh, Lawrence of Arabia uh, recruited to fight Britain's imperial wars for them uh, by way of, I don't know, like the North Africa campaign in World War II. Yeah, the Lauren have kind of switched from being like all just like Lawrence of Lawrence of Arabia to actually being like pseudo Middle Eastern, like like Araby was like in a old Warhammer fantasy. Yeah, Bedouin. Yeah. By way of so, like, I don't know, they've got a big tank focus now, so I guess they're going for I don't know, like Arab-Israeli conflict, like like sixties, like I don't know. It, it's uh, a. Yeah. Yeah, there's some. Um, I don't think GW is going for the, the Arab Israeli conflict. Maybe. No. <laughs> you know. like seven days war? All right, all right, all right. Yeah. Um, yeah, well, yeah. yeah, yeah. I, I, the, the most thought political thought that GW has put in the Talaran is just like, oh, um, you know, those, those brown people, they like to uh, scream and yell on their horses. So they move and they do a hit and run attacks. Uh, so therefore, they're. They can move and shoot heavy weapons without penalty, that sort of stuff. Uh, yeah, there's some real, real icky lore about the Talarn. If we if we get into real, real stuff, where it's like, oh, they didn't accept science for like the longest time, or like, they, well, they are uh, inward-looking people. I'm sure they're spiritual as well. Oh my god. Yeah, there, there's it's... some real icky stuff about. Uh, with the Talarn, we can get we can touch about GW's use of pastiche a little bit later. But the Talarn are a big, big prime example of uh, 
them doing that. It's not Warhammer Fantasy Pygmy levels, but it's not good. <laughs> Although, if we're going to be, uh, if we're going to just be rolling up our sleeves and uh, diving into the uh, the greatest hits of uh, Games Workshop tone deafness, I mean, I think you you cannot help but to mention the Praetorians, who are uh, the film, the 1960 film Zulu, uh, in space. Um, so they are ironically. They are British Imperial soldiers. Uh, they have pith helmets. Uh, they have smart red jackets. And I believe that their introduction to the world was in the uh, Battle of Big Tooth River, which is a, a sort of riff on the uh, Battle of Rourke's Drift during the uh, Anglo-Zulu War, where um, the uh, some like British defenders uh, like held the line, and it was very heroic. And if you're you know the sort of person who is really into Victorian militarism. They held the line against the charging force of Zulus. And, and uh, yeah. so Games Workshop decided that the way they were going to do this in no way fraught and loaded subject justice was by taking uh, their their sci-fi setting and, and uh, basically uh, reenacting it with uh, the British armies uh, represented here by the, uh, by the Praetorian Guard and the Zulus played, uh, the role of the Zulus played by feral orcs. So, <laughs> this was a real thing. Yep. No. <laughs> yeah, all the factions there. The regiments are definitely part we definitely want to talk about. Uh, I think before we get into the regiments, I just kind of want to briefly touch upon the, the sort of uh, schism that's always, that's happened with like most of the 40k factions, where we kind of have earlier third edition, late second edition uh, Warhammer 40k, which kind of goes for the much more satirical take on the Imperial Guard, which was like much more open about about like how many lives were wasted and like how little care the officers had about the soldiers. We're like just sending and sending the next wave quite literally, and like that wasn't even just like a Valhalla thing. That was like all guardsmen. Obviously, the the poster boys for the guardsmen, which are the Cadians, it's like, oh no, they're good, they're they're better. But like for the most part, like you had you had units like the White Helmets, which were literally just like children conscripted from the planet to serve in the, in the guard. And now we've we've kind of had this uh, pseudo this grim bright. I think a lot of people have described it not not quite noble bright like Star Trek, but uh like grim bright setting of like of the uh, the imperial guard are portrayed as like yes they're gonna die in droves but truly they're like the real heroes the real backbone of the imperium sort of deal mm -hmm. so yeah i just think it's interesting this kind of games workshop is moving so far away from their satirical roots though some of those satirical roots as you said are stemmed in horrible horrible colonial racism <laughs> and now they're yeah. just kind of uh portraying the guard as like this force of like unjust like unquestionable good because the Imperium is an unquestionable good. Yeah. I mean, I think just as with everything in, in Warhammer, there's just so much of it. <laughs> you can just pick and choose the, the flavor that you want. Um, so, I mean, I think if you are a, a thinking person, <laughs> you're not going to be uh, unironically in favor of, um, of the guard, or you're not going to be arguing for them as a, as a force for moral good. But I mean, I don't know. I, I think even in the most recent codex, they still are making some effort to like portray exactly how awful and uh, well, grim and dark uh, the circumstances are that they're forcing these conscripts. And 
So I think, I mean, I, I don't want to absolve Games Workshop here <laughs> because they have they have dug their own uh, they have dug their own hole that they know themselves in. But I do think that a lot of it kind of does come down to just fans categorically missing the point. Yeah, that is a that's a point that we always love to hit on and stuff. I was to say none of us none of us here want to absolve Games Workshop of anything until we've nationalized them. So then we can absolve them of all their sins, like a priest and a confessor booze. Like, all right, uh, say three Hail Marys, Games Workshop, and uh, give away all your plastic miniatures. Yeah, <laughs> uh, a a good example that I'm I'm kind of like a conflicted on because like a piece that shows up on Warhammer Community that's like a regular piece now is something called the Regimental Standard which actually used to be something, a little book that was kind of printed out in, I want to say, third edition, which was kind of just like a, a literal primer that was like a, making fun of like army primer, like li- like real world army primers, except obviously in the flavor and tone of uh, Warhammer, kind of just like, you know, it's like, oh, expect to be shot in the back of the head by your officer. Uh, if you're about to be surrounded, please just call uh, artillery support on you and then uh, pray to the emperor and die for the emperor sort of stuff. So... It seems like they are. There is like a level of awareness that Games Workshop has for the guard, and that they do have like awareness of like the, their own history of sorts. Like, from oh, abs- uh, absolutely, and I think that the regimental standard is just a real highlight of um, how they're d- dealing with the Imperial Guard now. Like they, they're leaning into. I mean, at this point, it's just wacky. But you know, at what point was it not wacky? Um, so they got features like. Uh, how to boil your own boots, but it's written always in this like uplifting tone, like you know, in the event that you, you the rations ration may be run out, <laughs> momentarily delayed. Don't rest assured that you will that we're working our hardest to get to them. But in the meanwhile, consider eating your own boots. So, <laughs> mm-hmm. yeah, I think it's I think that that's that's something that Games Workshop is pretty well with. Yeah, and it's just kind of disappointing because like you have like the great like the great satirical pieces from the regimental standard. And then of course we have the other side of the coin, which are the space Marines, the actual poster boys of Warhammer, where it's like fascism is good. Actually. It's like, have you considered that Gilliman and fascism are good? <laughs> Certainly they look cool. Yeah. It's, it's like, it's like, okay. It's like, well, you know, the guard are just regular humans. So uh, that's, um, and it's something that's kind of like always popped up in a lot of the Warhammer novels, like especially the ones that we've caught, where it's kind of like it's never it's not that it's the systemic problem. It's like, oh, it's these bureaucrats, uh, your taxmen, your uh, your 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 huffy politicians. And but those are the those are the real problem in the military. It's like if the military was just allowed to uh, function as they are, it's like then, then true. Then they could win the war. It's like, uh, I hate that theme. And it runs through I a mean, lot of the Warhammer novels. I think that there's, yeah, very definitely a lot of that. And I, like that just, I mean, it's part of how people have been talking about, you know, war in uh, in the modern era, like for since since World War One. you know, the first, you know, truly modern war, if you like, you got this theme, right, of what is it, uh, lions led by asses or whatever, uh, however the phrasing was, where, mm-hmm. you know, the, the failures of World War One were that, um, you know, it was a failure of the officer class and that the individual soldiers did nothing wrong, you know, which, you know, okay, I mean, that I, I, I'm not really a historian of that subject or anything, but I, I mean, it's, it's a way sort of a blame shifting. And, you know, it's very much the same sort of thing as you get with like the, the Wehrmacht did nothing wrong type takes, right? Yeah, the, the you, clean Wehrmacht, I think, is like the classic term. 
Yeah, exactly. Where, where you just, you know, you, you, you have recognized that there's a problem, but you know, it can't be, uh, it can't be a systemic one or anything. So you just need to, you know, point your finger at, uh, you know, the, the, the bad actors, you know, so the, uh, the SS or the World War One officers or uh, you know, this one commissar in this 140K novel. And, and he's the one. Yeah, it's his fault. It's, you know, uh, it's uh, protest the war, respect the troops kind of stuff, which the United States pr particular flavor of it, of the clean Vermox sort of deal. <laughs> yeah, 100%. This is... Uh... It's nothing new, but it's just so frustrating to see, like, the exact same rhetoric basically just like translated into different languages and translated across er different eras across different countries. And it's the exact same absolution of just like the Imperial industrial complex in multiple countries. So yeah, I, I always get like such a conflicted feeling um, when I'm building and playing the Imperial guard. Cause I'm just like, yeah, it's so cool that, you know, these are just like regular soldiers and I love building them. And then I'm like, I can imagine them heroic stuff. And then I'm just thinking about like, Oh yeah, the actual military commits war crimes and is now working on AI-driven missiles to bomb more Yemeni weddings, and it's just kind of like it's like a there's a deep feeling of conflict that I have, like as enjoying the Imperial Guard and a, like a sense of guilt as I'm building and playing them because it's kind of like the real world military is absolute shit. <laughs> I mean, I think that like I. I don't know. For me personally, I just like to lean into the grim darkness. I mean, I, I think that, you know, these are awful people and you are playing the bad guys when you play the guard. It just, uh, just, uh, <laughs> somebody's don't, gotta be don't, the bad don't guys. Grim dink that you're the bad guys. Cause you know, shovel memes. I mean, shovels are great and all, but, uh, no, you're the bad guys. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, the, the the Imperium is the bad guys. It's the stance of the podcast. The Imperium sucks shit. So, um, so a, a big part about the Guard is kind of like their their multiple regiments, as we already brought up. As Lars brought up, we had talked about the Praetorians. We have the Talarn, the Valhallans. The other famous ones are like Cadians, Australians, uh, the Tanith, first and only, um, Death Corps of Krieg, obviously. So we have like all these different regiments and stuff, and most of them actually like really all of them are just kind of like games workshop cherry picking like different regiments or different styles from 20th century wars and kind of being like oh this is cool it's kind of like when, when you play when you get all your toys together and it's like oh what if what if he-man and crash bandicoot fought together against neocortex and aku aku uh, it's kind of like that thing where it's like games workshop is like it's like, oh, it's like, what if these all these cool regiments didn't actually have ideological or political differences, and they they all got to fight the cool the cool bad guy that I made up? And Alex, uh, I think you have one of my favorite uh, most salient points, of kind of about the pastiche and the the steal outright stealing or appropriation of cultures by Games Workshop, and most importantly, like it was your most salient was uh, when it came to Warhammer Fantasy. So if you could uh, explain to the audience a little bit about that, like bring up like Warhammer Fantasy and how Games Workshop kind of just like off like steals from cultures to make an aesthetic of general cool. Yeah, so I, I would, I because there's like a massive pleasure um, uh, and I, I don't think it's entirely un unproblematic, obviously, but 
it's not something that we should completely dismiss, the pleasure of cultural pastiche. I would prefer to call it pastiche rather than appropriation, because while there is, there's certainly elements of that, and I think in some of the more problematic uh, examples of it, we, we can definitely call it that, the word has a certain amount of baggage, and I do think that there is a space to play with existing kind of uh, cultural archetypes and looks um, to, to create one's own kind of fantasy or, or sci-fi um, like, yeah, fantasy and, and sci-fi looks and archetypes. Um, so yeah, like my, I was mainly thinking about that from the the, the context of like fantasy stuff. Um, and actually, I think speaking of the um, of the Imperial Guard, and this holds true to the Warhammer Empire, which is much as I like. I have that, that that similar kind of thing where the thing that they're really playing on is the Holy Roman Empire, right? The the floppy hats and all this sort of thing. Unquestionably. And so you can kind of draw a slightly reductionist line between um, the Imperial Guard and the Warhammer Empire and then quite a few other Warhammer fantasy factions. The difference between a... Um, a kind of a, a cultural pastiche that has an additional take and one that doesn't. So in the case of something like the Lizardmen who are Mayans, but they're also dinosaurs. So that's almost like, that's like an elevator pitch, you know. It's it's Titanic meets Star Wars or whatever. It's two things coming together to kind of create something a little bit new, and it almost, and in, in, in kind of foregrounding just the aesthetic and removing some of those other uh, more culturally sensitive aspects, like obviously the, the, the genocide that they underwent. Uh, well, mm. I, I say that. <laughs> Arguably, some uh, some parallels in the end times with Skaven. Anyway, uh, <laughs> <is> the... <laughs> moving on, moving on. Yeah, moving on from that. But like, so in a weird way, because uh, obviously Jameson is, is where I'm, I'm getting a lot of this pastiche uh, uh, theory from. He speaks very negatively about pastiche. You know that it's like the it, it's just empty recycling of styles using dead reference and this kind of thing. Where uh, like, yeah, so it's it. To the extent that culture built on pastiche postmodernism means that like true meaning is effaced and then it leaves us nothing with texts. But I do kind of like the uh, this meets this uh, appeal of things, which is why I sort of think that in a weird way, like it's less comfort food e to go with something like the lizard men than something like the imperial guard because it is just <laughs> you know the Wehrmacht in space, the uh, the Soviets in space. The uh, the Bedouins in space. It is just all of them, but with slightly more technology. And so, in, do you sort of get that? Like, it doesn't have the same, or, or it doesn't have the same kind of like additional step that makes it more of a its own thing. Mm. Yeah, I suppose I could see that. I, I just just um, thinking uh, the one. Uh, it just occurred to me the um, where you, you're saying like you know these are all unconnected uh, elements and so forth, and it's really stripping them of context. Right now, occurred. I mean, Games Workshop are, are horseshoe theorists, right? <laughs> like they're looking at all of these various 20th century, um, you know, authoritarian sorts of uh, militaries, and and what what what's in co the, the commonality that they see there is is the authoritarianism, uh, and it doesn't matter if it's the um, Steel Legion who are I guess German like paratroops in World War II or the Red Army. They're all authoritarians. Yeah. Like yeah. Like, you know which would be the... If they were to introduce, like, a new archetype of guard based on an existing kind of uh, military look, you know what it would be, right? It would be North Korea. 
because it's really uncontroversial to hate on North Korea as an authoritarian state. So there, there would just be the juice. <laughs> the, the, sorry, I said juice. <laughs> I see it written down. The, ju- <laughs> the juice faction. <laughs> no, I'm, I'm sticking juicy. with that. <laughs> yeah. Not a good look, I, Alex. The imperial juices. Uh, yeah, sorry. Go ahead, Lars. Oh, sorry. I was just going to say that I think, like, you know, what you were saying about, like, you know, just the, the sort of pleasure in the aesthetics, I mean, is definitely one of the motivating factors here. And that's also the exact same reason why they will never do North Korea, because uh, they're, they're, they're comedy, right? It's because they've got big hats and the guys are skinny and they've got 50s stuff and they don't look threatening. Or at least, you know, that's how we that's how we show them in uh in Western news media, right? So, so that's why they're a bad candidate. And like all of the all of the factions who do get uh, guardified are all, you know, just in the popular imagination, or at least in the imagination of like fifty-something World War II nerds. Are all these like thunderous figures? You know, it's the it's the formidable Red Army, or it's uh, you know the the Wehrmacht and their tanks. So, no, North Korea actually is not going to make the cut. Sorry. Yeah, you're right. It, it is very much like. Um... A Stephen Ambrose romanticization of the of of all of these armies and stuff, where it's like it's not actually reflective of like the war crimes they committed or that the horror the horrors that they wrecked upon the world. It's kind of like the you know uh, you're just looking at it as like oh just you know soldiers following orders uh, sort of deal, and it's kind of like yeah the North Koreans have no romanticization. They don't really have. Uh, uh, a real place in Western culture, and that's and that's obviously the thing. That's pr- where the perspective is severely limited when it comes to Games Workshop. It's kind of like the romanticization of all these Western armies, like say for the Bedouins, but like as we said with the Bedouins, uh, i.e. the Talarn, like they're just given like they're treated as savages, like they were treated as savages for the longest time. It's basically like the colonial viewpoint about Muslim people for the lo- for the longest time until Games Workshop was like, oh. Maybe outright Islamophobia is not the best look to sell metal miniatures, but uh, so we'll tone that down a bit. Well, I mean, this this would, like takes us to um, a point that I was wanting to bring up, which is just there's this very interesting way in which they sort of take all of these looks, which are, are just clearly identifiable. Um, so I mean, again, like I, I you know I have a lot of Valhallans. I think they're very cool. I uh, it probably my. Uh, questionably ironic uh, ussr fandom has something to do with that but um so they, they have these these figures where they uh design them first just it's pretty much just you know if you take these real world armies and then give them laser guns um but then like there was this 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 next step that they need to do where they need to go back and like reverse engineer the circumstances <laughs> in which these these characters are supposed to to come from so um you know you you start off with your your red army and then you say oh wait but it's not you know uh it's not russia certainly not no uh they live on an ice planet and like their 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 great their great patriotic war is uh their tenacious defense of the ice caves that they live in against the orcs um so i think it's just this really interesting process whereby like like i think that somebody there knows that what they're doing is uh is a bit of a bad look so like they they want to it's a real conflict where they want to invoke this this visual imagery um but at the same time they're like not quite comfortable leaning into it all the way so they they need to they need to come up with ways where oh no no these aren't the nazis not at all Mm -hmm. yeah Uh, definitely definitely 
Uh, yeah, and I think that's, as we bring up the Nazis, I think that's kind of where we're going to get to the most infamous regiment, uh, <laughs> loved by many, uh, uh, hated by plenty on this surfer, the Death Corps of Krieg. Uh, the most... Yeah, before, before we get, before you motherfuckers yell about, uh, my French World War One uniform, uh, it's like, shut the fuck up. It's like, they're so clearly... Co- like, yes, if you do the light blue, they don't look as much like Nazis, but they're so clearly coded as fucking Germans, World War II Germans. It's like their planet is called Krieg. It's just the German word for fucking war. It's like Games Workshop is not known for their subtlety. They're like, stop trying to like galaxy brain this and like be like, um, actually, it's just the World War One French. No, it's the, <laughs> they're the Wehrmacht. <laughs> it's that's what they are. Uh, yeah, but 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 blue isn't the same color as gray. They're two separate. One is blue yeah. and one is gray. It's different. Yeah, and there's like uh, countless, countless posts of just people. Uh, uh, who posted? Alec, you, you you definitely pay a lot more attention to the subreddit. Uh, where was it posted? The one who added like literal SS insignias onto his onto onto it, and it was just kind of like, uh, stop politicizing my miniatures. It's like it's just it's just SS symbols on my death core. Nothing. Stop looking too into it. <laughs> well. <laughs> T- to be fair, I think that person didn't even bother responding that. Um, uh, yeah, so <laughs> he would just kind of respond to people asking like how how he did various hobby stuff, and and wouldn't respond to all the people like, why do you have SS things on on your? Uh, oh, oh, actually, it, uh, oh sorry, now I remember. Sorry, a uh, bit dis- dis- disorganized it in my memory coming back. Now it's coming back to me. Yeah, so initially he posted all these pictures of German style. In, in air quotes, World, uh, World War II. Ger- no, no, he, yeah, he says with, in, uh, he, World War II German style yeah, deathcore with, with Iron Cross decals and SS symbols, uh, and so people rightly complained. Then a few mm. months later, he, he well, he's continuing posting his army, but now he's not using the decals, and people are still like saying, "Well, wh- why are you?" Painting them to look like Nazis, and then then you've got like all these keyboard warriors saying, "Oh, they're not Nazis. Clearly, this person is just taking inspiration." And then, and then it's like, "Yeah, but the, just a few posts back, they have the decals." And they're like, "Well, maybe he's changed. He's moved on. He's 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 decided that uh, you know <laughs> he may have posted something about the Great Replacement and Arthur Donald a, a few days ago, but I'm sure he's come to the to the era of his ways." <laughs> yeah, yeah, Nazis are very well known for. Uh being self-reflective and changing their opinions after criticism. It's one of the, it's one of the, <coughs> excuse me, one of the traits that they're most well known for. <laughs> I mean, you know, it's, it's, it's the swastika that makes the Nazi, right? I mean, you know, war crimes and all that, that that's all bad. But I mean, you know, if they don't have the red armband, I, I don't think, I think we're on very shaky ground calling, calling them that honestly. So I, I think that you're being very incivil. <laughs> yeah. Oh God. Civility. Oh, uh, yeah, so if we and if we want to talk about the general wargaming population absolutely missing the point, the Death Corps, you look no further than the Death Corps of Krieg. So if you're unfamiliar with the Death Corps of Krieg, they are a regiment basically developed by Forge World that were kind of um that were introduced in one of their Imperial Armor books way, way, way back in the Siege of Rack, uh, which is basically the Death Corps of Krieg doing World War One style uh, trench warfare against um and chaos chaos soldiers and so the lore is that basically they have a similar uh, background as the vostrains where their planet rebelled uh so the imperium as as you do uh virus bombed uh krieg so basically eliminating almost all life 
So now the, the Death Corps of Krieg are kind of like serving on internal pe pendants, uh, where they're trying to make up for the mistakes of their ancestors. Uh, and the other unique thing about them is that they're one of the few factions that are sanctioned to use uh, cloning technology, basically. They call it something else, but it's essentially cloning technology. Um, they're infamous for they, like every single uh, Death Corps of Krieg soldier. Like, you know, they're not afraid of dying. And in fact, they actively want to die. It's just it's like, like very mis like nihilistic, misanthropic look about kind of like the world. But but if you look at the Death Corps of Creed kind of like from an actual like standpoint, it, it's a very interesting about like how you can look at it, how like how the military kind of dehumanizes soldiers and are kind of just like these like um, oh what is the Umber Umber Umberto echoes um, uh, was it like thing of heroes? Uh, oh man, I can't remember the uh, what well, the uh, 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 fascism. Yeah, well, yeah, well, obviously fascism, but it's kind of like yeah. the 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 code of heroes, the culture oh, um, of heroes. Yeah, so um, it's like a a, a a culture of heroism, which also is it's which also is heroism. also a death cult. So it's like simultaneously uh, the culture of constantly fighting, but it's a suicide cult. Yeah, yeah, because the Death Corps of Creek soldiers like actively want to die because they've been told that they have to pay penance for the the sins of their ancestors, essentially. And that commissars, unlike what we're used to, are actually trying to prevent the Death Corps free soldiers from actively killing themselves in the firefight. And I, like, I think that the Death Corps free are definitely the most obvious and on-the-nose parody of fascism in the culture of heroism that, at least like from an Umberto Eco perspective just kind of like the dehumanization and how war dehumanizes how the military dehumanizes soldiers and that the death corps of krieg are kind of known for going way way above the amount that they're supposed to give for soldiers and that they're kind of infamous for just wasting lives in classic trench warfare uh, style and yet and yet and yet if you were to go on grimdank uh or other warhammer facebook meme websites it, like if you were to just like if you if you had no idea about anything that i just described and you never read the siege of frack or you didn't know anything about the death corps of creek um so alex and lars what what would be your image of the death corps of creek if you were to go solely on memes what would the death corps of creek what do you think what would you think of them well they they like shovels oh shovels they like shovels yeah, okay I yes guess it's like a, a trench thing but you know shovels <laughs> classic uh, yeah, they, they dig. They dig things. Um, they've got cool helmets. Sometimes they have spikes on. They sound uh, like they're really prepared for the beach, you know. They, they, they could build really nice sandcastles. They don't need sunscreen because they're covered head to toe. Um, yeah, no, the, the gas masks are like the, the final step for UV protection, you know, in addition to the great coats and uh, all that. Uh, yeah, they're, they're incredibly beloved. Uh, they're just, just they're, they're, they feature in tons of memes, which I think a lot of it is like playing on this you know, sort of suicidal, like, striving for redemption thing. Because, like, uh, the people love the, like, oh, ha they're, 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 they're smiling. It's got a smiley gas mask. Or, yeah, it, it's... Yeah, there, there's, a, there's a good mix of... There's, like, memes that kind of get it, and then there's memes that really don't get it. Like, there's memes that are just kind of like, oh, boy, I can't wait to die sort of deal. And kind of... But the thing is, is like while like the Death Corps of Creek like are known for dying, but it's missing the larger joke about the way systems dehumanize the Death Corps of Creek. Because like like so many of them are like drawn in like a chibi style or like this like cartoonish like playful style sort of deal. And like oh uh, there there they are clutching their shovel sort of deal. 
And <laughs> it's just like, it's just totally missing the point. Missing the forest for the tree sort of deal. Like them latching onto like a single aspect because they like the aesthetic of the Death Corps of Creek, because they like the Wehrmacht look and they like the gas mask great coat look. And just like totally missing every single salient point that the Death Corps of Creek actually communicate with their lore. Yeah, I think this is unquestionably one of the biggest failures of the fandom. I think that this is one uh, like example of Games Workshop like going out of their way to make it like as just obviously, just obviously an insanely dystopian reality that these guys exist in, where they're 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 produced. They literally don't have families. They're they're produced in cloning tanks or whatever. And I get, I believe that they live underground because they live on this like you know. Yeah, because the planet's virus bombed. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So it's just this dead planet that just exists only to mass produce these utterly dehumanized, just absolutely broken. It's just, just fodder for the for the meat grinders of just eternal warfare, and and somehow somehow I don't know, like they could not have made this any more obvious, and somehow the fandom looks at this and is like, oh, <laughs> those hats are cool. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> just like like the absolute, it's the missing the point meme by like a mile. Yeah, let's say Alex, I was like, as kind of like subreddit moderator, I feel like you've had to deal with the cult of love for the death core of Creek a few times pretty with a few infamous posts sort of deal. Uh, <laughs> like, uh, so what, what, what's kind of, you've definitely had a more, how shall we say personal touch with the, with this fandom, this unironic adoration of the, the Creek sirs, Kriegers. Well, it's cause I'm never the one who posts the, haha, you know, like the, the anti-Krieg memes, which, which can be funny. And then which will inevitably get like massive downvotes and, uh, and, uh, well, I say that it'll probably be sitting around 60%, but that, that, that 40 or so percent of people who are angry will make their presence known in the comments. Um, and yeah, you know, the same kind of things come up so, to, to the extent that I've literally never read any single, um, bit of Krieg lore. Like, the only things I know about Krieg come from memes on Gringdank, then defenses of them on our subreddit. <laughs> yeah, yeah. what is your opinion, like, on the, uh, should, should the Kriegers get, Kriegers get squatted so you don't have to deal with them anymore? Like, like from your fantasy AOS perspective, like, what if, like, what have you seen about the Kriegers? <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, I'm glad that we, <laughs> that we don't have the Nazis in AOS. <laughs> If they were tempted to squat the Kriegers, then maybe they'll bring the Nazi army into Age of Sigmar, which will, will definitely fuck up the balance. So maybe it's good that we've got this sequestered little gang of 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 those people who who like the um the, the French army aesthetic. Um, yeah, maybe that's that's all good. Um, isn't it prohibitively expensive as well? So what you're really doing is you're you're whether you're racist or not, you are signaling that you're bullshit. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it's it's a Forge World exclusive, aren't it? Right? It's a Forge World yeah. exclusive. Actually, no, no. It, it, so that's the thing. So, broke Krieg players are racist. Woke Krieg players are rich assholes. Mm. Yeah, if you ever see somebody with like a full Krieg army, not just like a squad or two, it's just like you know they have like so much cash. Seventy one dollars for a forty point unit, and it's. Uh, absolutely i mean like we can get out of the forge world uh prices a whole other time but like yeah it, it's like the it's easily the biggest symbol that um this person is not good 
uh, like even if like the Kriegers weren't like full on Wehrmacht and that sort of stuff, like the idea like that's such a prohibitively expensive army and an already prohibitively expensive faction, it just like signals so much to anybody yeah. who comes across. Oh, it. actually, you know, who knows? Maybe Games Workshop is quietly woke. I mean, the <laughs> the Chaos Dwarves are also prohibitively expensive in on Forge World, and they're the closest thing that Fancy has to like the the worst fascist faction in that. They are simultaneously like a, um, like like a self-parodic kind of racist thing where they're like the the evil, nasty, devilish Babylonian people who are enslaving and and being really sadistic and evil, and so those two are both Forge World armies. So I I wonder if that's Games Workshop signaling something. You, you know what my take is is that we actually should all be grateful to uh, to Games Workshop for this, because in the animal kingdom, right, in, in the world of nature, um, if you encounter a, a toad or a frog in a to- tropical rainforest and it's brightly striped and spotted, you can safely conclude that that is not a toad or a frog that you care to fuck with. And likewise, if you are at your friendly local gaming store and you see the guy with the Krieg army and you notice some interesting... Uh, runes have, are adorning their helmets you can just just walk away you save yourself a lot of time and stress it's a warning signal so i'd just like to say thank you to games workshop for for giving that to us no, no they don't even need the iron cross if there's if they just have a death core free army they've just that you just that's just a signal already uh unpainted or painted or not just uh, you're just like oh they have too much money <laughs> they have too much money <laughs> yeah Oh man! Uh, every time I think about the Death Corps of Krieger, I always think about the one guy who painted his up as Africa Corps in my fucking friendly local gaming store. <laughs> and I, how I I hate that army so much. Um, I love the aesthetic of Death Corps Creek, but every time I see him, I'm just like, I want to smash those resident soldiers to bits. <sighs> yep, that is uh, has always been a painful topic. Just like. Uh, it, it just still baffles me. Like the Games Workshop, which is never known for their subtly subtlety, have gone so out of their way. The Forge World writers have gone so out of their way to make the Death Corps of Kree just like the most obvious fascists, like the most obvious fascists, more than like any other part of like the Guard. And it's still the point is still gone, just like so above their head, and it just kind of it baffles my mind. Uh, yeah, so. That's kind of that's that's kind of gotten all my talk about regiments. You kind of got the Vostroians and Valhalla, which are just Russians. There's the there's the inherent racism of the Talarn, which that sort of deal. Uh, every everything else is just kind of like you know British colonialism. You got Praetorians, you got the Cadians, who are just kind of like seen as the best, and because they're white and British. So the eternal racism of the dry-brushed Krieg. <laughs> All right, so that's about all my brain can handle about thinking about Nazis in the hobby for this episode. So let's move on to a little bit more of a light topic. So after we just told you that everyone who plays Death Corps of Creek is a Nazi, uh, let's talk about Collecting Guard. Yay! <laughs> hey, you too can have all these conflicted feelings that <laughs> Lars and I have. Or you can roleplay that you're basically just like the foot soldiers of like a horrible fascist army, which you are. So, Lars. Okay, here's what you're going to want to do, right? You go on eBay, you type in Valhalla Ice Warriors. Don't pay attention to anything else. This is the only one that you want. No, um, yeah, the guard, guard in general, are um, they're not the, 
absolute most forgiving army to get into, I wouldn't say. Um, I which I'm questioning right now my decision to have started up with them, but I just love them. Um, so generally, uh, if you are going to be uh, intending to play a game with them, which of course sort of the reason to etch for the hobby, right? Um, mm. You're going to need bunches of them. These are not elite soldiers, um, and that's reflected in the rules. Your standard guardsman is, I think, an 8th edition 4 points. Yep, only um, 4 points per model. So you're going to need a bunch of those guys. I'm talking dozens, possibly you know, 80, 90, something like that. Um, yeah, so yeah, the, the, general, the general thing to do is to just uh, either accept that you're not going to be wanting to uh, paint heavy metal team style paint jobs for all of your guys, or just, you know, start dry brushing. Um, yeah, so I guess if you're wanting to get started uh, collecting them, the thing to do really is to <laughs> wait for a deal or to check out eBay unless you have just many hundreds of dollars of disposable income. Yeah, uh, and it's got even more painful with, uh, the recent price increase on your basic troops, your Cadian oh, shock God. troops. And it's just no. extra galling too because because the Imperial Guard are not uh, Games Workshop favorite children, the Space Marines. So just the, you're paying, you're pay, they just for no apparent reason they've increased prices for like your standard infantry squads and, and for everything, models. pretty much everything. Yeah, and I mean these are the same models as in I don't know 1998. <laughs> yeah, they're almost they're almost as old as I am. <laughs> <laughs> so they, I don't know. I mean, they, they they hold up okay. I think that the sculpt qualities are okay. I, they I have a that... lot of mold lines, though. So if you if oh, you are doing KD shock troops, they have so many mold lines on them. So you're going to be spending a lot of time with that exacto knife. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I, mean, I think like they they have aged a little better than some other like you know mid to late '90s vintage games workshop. But I mean, they're 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 not the newest models. No, no. Um, if you want some recommendations just to kind of like spice up your army uh to kind of like spice up your guardsmen like maybe with like new heads or arms or legs or something like that uh i'd recommend like anvil industry victoria miniatures um uh was it a cool max max mini max mini is also very good mm -hmm. Uh, reptilian overlords are excellent they have like a lot of heads for affordability uh, obviously this is again adding additional cost onto an already expensive army but i do think a lot of like even if, okay like even if you're just doing a kill team which is like the easiest way to start with like a guardsman like you're like like the least uh scary way to get into guard is to basically get do like a kill team of guard and then you can customize them so that reptilian overlords anvil industry uh, Victoria Miniatures, Crumlek.eu, uh, Cyborg Miniatures has some stuff as well. So all of those websites and Max Mini, those have some really good third-party bits. Uh, most of them are European, so you are going to be paying the conversion rate if you are outside of Europe or or just like don't pay in pounds. So you are going to have to deal with that conversion rate. Uh, they're great ways to, to start with... Uh, convert it to make them specialize a little bit more but again it is adding more cost into an already expensive army so yeah i sorry i, I think we should say I, i'm not sure if it's been brought up yet um so for all this talk of all of these various weird and wacky regiments uh fun and occasionally racist though they may be um they they many of them don't are not actually exist anymore. games workshop anymore as of i think two or three years ago they were all metal by and large and uh, games workshop did away with them 
So I think nowadays you're limited to your Cadians and your Catachans. Um, I think they still have Steel Legion. They do still um, have some metal. They only have like a limited amount of Steel Legion too. They don't even have like the officers, the sergeants, the commissars. Mm -hmm. Like, but you don't even have the full range of Steel Legion. You just have like the basic troops, which are already prohibitively expensive. Though I yeah. guess now that they're actually the same price as regular Cadian shock troops. Yeah, you know, oh. why not? Yeah. Um, and then, of course, if you are uh, literally made of money and also uh, secretly or not so secretly a Nazi, there are the Death Corps. But, um, th of course, you know, the, the old metal minis hold up wonderfully and are easily paint-trippable if you happen to find them at a garage sale or on eBay or whatever. So. Yeah, that is definitely a thing. So if you're trying to get started with it, especially after the price increase, uh, I don't think there's any way to justify paying for the price for the Cadian Command Squad anymore. So what I would actually recommend is you you grab three of the, the guards, start collecting, because now with the price increase of both the Lehman Rust and the Cadians and the Command Squad, um, it's actually a good deal now, because it's only, only because of the price increase. It was probably one of the worst start collectings beforehand, where it only was above its price tag because of the Officio Perfectus Commissar. Uh, now it's actually a good deal, but that's only because of the stupid price increase. So what you're going so the nice thing about the Cadian sprue is that you actually get uh, two sets of last pistol and chainsword. So what you can do is you give the last pistol and chainsword to the commissar model, and then you just run him as a company commander. So that way, instead of buying three of the um, <coughs> instead of buying three of the Cadian command squads, you just convert your your. <clears throat> Your commissar into a company commander, so that way you have three of those. Also, the Which commissar you, does look objectively cool. He does look cool, yeah. Uh, and like, also too, like if somebody's going to argue, it's like, oh, it's the commissar model, not the company commander model. That's just so. It's just like so ne nebulous and like pushing. It's like he looks like an officer. He has like a, a great coat, and he's got like a pointy hat. That's all that really needs to signal for an officer. <laughs> uh, and it's a GW model, so you're not worried about third-party stuff, and you're using all third-party uh, GW bits. So, if anybody's going to argue that, that that's that's a commissar, not a company commander, they can go fly a kite. And the other bonus of buying three of them is that it gets you three Lehman Russes, um, three Lehman Russ battle tanks, which are the backbone of the guard, both in the lore and in your actual army when you're playing them. And then, of course, you get also the one additional weapons team that comes with the thing, and that way if you buy three, you get three weapons teams. So that way you can make a full heavy weapons squad. Uh, mortars are obviously objectively the best heavy weapons team for their points. Uh, especially if you run them as KD and then you tell them to reroll ones. They're even the order to reroll ones. They're going to absolutely annihilate any infantry squad. However, if you want to go for some more fun anti-tank, you can also do last cannons. Uh, the autokins and heavy bolt or heavy weapon teams are just not really worth it because the weapons aren't that great. So if you're going to do heavy weapons team, I would recommend uh, all mortars or all las cannons. Uh, mixing and matching heavy weapons team to be like, oh, I'm going to do one auto cannon, one heavy bolter, one las cannon. Uh, that's not best. You're basically going to be splitting anti-tank or anti-infantry duty, and you're just going to wind up not really killing what you're trying to do. Um, so yeah. And the other thing that you really want is you want your tank commanders. So so the nice thing about the Lehman Rust kits is that they all have a tank commander as part of it. And the nice thing is that you don't actually have to glue it. You can just magnetize it. So that way, if you want to run it as a vanilla battle tank, you can run it as a vanilla battle tank. If you want to run it as a 
tank commander, you just plop on the little tank commander character that comes inside the Lehman Rust bo uh, box as well. Hmm. And yeah, if you're getting started, that's really, <laughs> it, it's just fitting for the lore. You're going to want a shit ton of Cadians. You're going to want a shit ton of Lehman Russes. And you're going to want those company commanders, especially if you're just starting. Um, th there those are. Oh, go ahead, Lars. Yeah, I'm sorry to interrupt. Um, the other uh, two uh, wallet hammer options for people who are maybe concerned about uh, not spending too much is once in a while, I think like twice a year or so, um, Games Workshop has these giant bundle deals um, where they ask you to pay a huge amount of money up front for what is actually a pretty substantially sized collection of guys. So just recently, like I want to say months ago or so, they yeah, had the Apocalypse, Apocalypse Detachments, um, which was actually like actually a good deal like like it's, it's it was it's weird looking at that and you're like oh yeah i actually get a lot for my money which is just not a feeling that you're accustomed to feeling when <laughs> no. it comes to games workshop products um so i think that that one came with i want to say three lehman russes yeah it came um, with two two battle tanks and then one demolisher pattern a chimera yeah. a heavy weapon squad and a company command squad so that was like actually a pretty reasonable. I think it was, it was 130 years, $170 price point, I believe. Yep, $170 um, US dollars, yeah. So there's that. And also, if you need to pad out your, um, your the ranks of your foot sloggers, um, the, actually the current best deal, I believe, uh, aside from the start collecting kit, which Sam mentioned, is going to be a, no joke, uh, the Gene Stealers cult um, deal. What is that? Uh, where you get... Um, the, you get uh, the Broodlords? No. The, the Brood Brothers? Yeah, you, Brood, you, excuse me. Yeah, Breed Brothers. Yeah, yeah so it is. Yeah, go ahead. Oh, that's so that's just uh, you get your 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 standard Cadian sprues, um, and you get uh, also a heavy weapons team, and then there's also just like a little Gene Stealers upgrade sprue included uh, that you, as a loyalist uh, son of the emperor, are not going to care about. So you sell that on eBay and recoup some of your losses. And so that's actually, um, I think, if you specifically need heavy weapons squads and infantry on that i think that is actually the mathematically cheapest option right at the moment yeah yeah if you need to pad your rank uh further yeah the brood squad is like categorically mathematically oh you like actually you're losing money by buying just like the vanilla cadian shock troop box uh so like just the just the heavy weapons team and just the uh cadians inside already is above the price tag for the uh brood brothers box and then, yeah, as uh, Lars said, sell the sell, you can use some of the heads. Some of the heads don't look too traitorous because they're good heads. Uh, obviously, you're not going to use the Gene Stealer cult bits, but yeah, sell them. Uh, Games Workshop sells them for like twelve bucks. So if you're selling uh, U.S. dollars, I should say, I'm not sure what it is in uh, euros or pounds, but if you sell that for like eight bucks, six bucks, like you're you're like able to make the money back. You know, sell them to your local friendly gaming store on the side, sort of deal. So, because there's plenty of people who want those upgrade kits, but they don't want to pay for the upgrade sprue, uh, for, which you can only order from Games Workshop itself. Uh, all the other toys, like um, Hellhounds, Basilisks, Sentinels, like you look at those and you're like, "Oh, those are so cool! I really want those." It's they're good. They're they're fun. They're fun to use. Uh, the Hellhounds are definitely like the best if you're looking at a competitive sense, especially if you run them as Artemia Pattern Hellhounds, which is a Forge World option, but we're never going to tell you to buy Forge World. Fuck Forge World. Uh, yeah, like those are cool, but they're not really the backbone. What you need to start is just lots of guardsmen and lots of ba uh, lots of tanks. Uh, so your battle tanks, you're probably going to want to do uh, the battle cannon with, a, with uh, three heavy bolters. 
maybe you get like three of those because that's just kind of like the backbone of like any guard army. And then you're going to want some of the demolisher pattern, uh, Lehman Rust battle tanks, and you're going to want to build those as punisher cannons for your anti horde. And let me, <laughs> I can tell you that from experience, having a Lehman Rust punisher, especially as a tank commander or if you're Proctium is Pask. Holy shit, does that thing do work? <laughs> <laughs> and of course, the other uh, things that you cannot uh, go without as a guard player are going to be your orders and your various regimental. Uh, so, um, depending on who you choose to, to play, uh, for instance, Valhallans get a very, very neat vehicle bonus um, where you don't, your tanks don't start, or your vehicles don't stop, start losing effectiveness until they're essentially below half health. So uh, they don't suffer any uh, any penalty to um, hit rolls or anything like that until they're below half health. So that uh, can be very useful if you think that you're going to be taking a lot of damage. And you're the guard, so you are going to be taking a lot of damage. Yeah, yeah. Don't don't play this army if you hate removing models. Uh, <laughs> your your tanks and your guardsmen they're going to die uh, unquestionably. You don't really have access to a lot of invul saves. So anything that's like high damage, high AP is going to eat everything alive, but that's okay, because all of your stuff is dirt cheap points-wise, and incredibly points-efficient. The Guardsman is probably the most points-efficient unit in all of 8th edition, and I think I don't think that's too controversial of a point. Uh, do they use movement trays in 40k, by any chance? I mean, I know not in the official rules, but do people in tournaments, to, to make sure slow players and the thing, do it? It, it, is, it is interesting that you bring that up, because as part of the Apocalypse um, edition, they... Uh, they actually introduced movement trays for the first time in 40k, like officially GW branded ones too. Uh, I I would say beforehand, I don't. There were some people that did that. Uh, it definitely wasn't like a GW sanctioned one, um, and there were no GW sanctioned like movement trays at the time. And some people did do that, especially for orcs, which for orcs it's like a lot more necessary because like you're doing them in like large hordes of thirty. Guard, like, you probably can, because, like, they're always moving as a 10-man unit, and you're having several 10-man units altogether. So, you could do that. Um, I think that they're a little overpriced for what they are, the, the GW Apocalypse ones. You can probably get third-party ones on other websites. <laughs> Cough, eBay. Uh, <laughs> for Because uh, the guards, because your regular Cadians are 25-millimeter bases. So, just look for 25-millimeter movement trays, and you'll see a plethora of options that fit within your budget and that are much that are much much more affordable than the games workshop ones. uh yeah so that kind of answers the movement tray question uh what else oh regiments so if you're going for absolute competitiveness uh it's a good tie between cadians and katachan so if you're doing katachan you definitely want to use like hellhounds basilisks that sort of stuff because that way you're re-rolling your uh, random number of shots Cadian's just kind of like the best vanilla one. Like you can throw that onto most any army, and it does well because it's you're rerolling ones naturally if you uh, aren't moving. Which, as guardsmen against most factions, you're not going to be doing a lot of movement until like later phases of the game. So uh, I would definitely recommend those. Um, trying to think of anything else. Yeah, definitely. Chimeras are obviously really cool, but they're not the best. Unless you're running like some cheesy list like Talarn do, because Talarn don't suffer the penalty for moving and shooting with heavy weapons. Uh, so a, a kind of a fun cheese list for Talarn is to run uh, six or eight Chimeras uh, with, with infantry squads in them, because it's just so much toughness seven, uh, 11 wound nonsense, just like coming at the enemy. 
The other thing, of course, that's uh, maybe worth mentioning is even if people aren't interested in playing a purely guard army, um, just because of the points effectiveness and because you can't get so many so many warm bodies for so few points, um, it's really worth considering if you play any kind of imperial army at all, just taking a, a, a detachment of them just as as, as bubble wrap. Um, so or course, CP battery. <laughs> yeah, yeah, or that, of course. So yeah, so like that's you know the the, the source of so much rage before I guess Games Workshop this fixed that with the last FAQ was the old. The old uh, knight and uh, guard bubble wrap combo. The loyal thirty-two. Yeah, which you know, I mean, uh, it's. I mean, I, I don't play in any way competitively. I collect uh, metal miniatures that they stopped making a while ago, um, and just am quite happy doing that. But if you are the kind of person who must win at all costs, uh, consider investing in some guard. Yeah, yeah. The loyal thirty-two, which is a. Uh, Sort of not derivative nickname at this point for three for one battalion of three infantry squads and two company commanders, mm -hmm. which is not the cheapest battalion. If you want, if you want pure CP battery, the Rusty Seventeen, as they're called, which is uh, three squads of Skatari Rangers, which is fifteen Skatari Rangers all naked, and then two Tech Priest Engineers, is actually cheaper than the Loyal Thirty Two after the uh, chapter proof <laughs> points drops. But the thing is, is that the Loyal 32 is just much more efficient in terms of bodies. And then you have the force multiplier that comes with the orders that the officers can give. So, as I said before, that they're the most point-efficient unit in the, <laughs> the entire game, really. Uh, There's just the simple guardsmen. So, yeah. Uh, obviously, the guardsmen have tons and tons of different toys. That comes with uh, having the range been or being around for so long. So... Like most of the the most things in the codex are are good. Like you're never gonna like use a unit. You're gonna be like, oh, this unit's like totally hot garbage. Like you can basically buy any unit, and you're like, this has some level of effectiveness. So, but yeah, guardsmen and Lehman Rust tanks, along with your company commanders and tank commanders, that's kind of the backbone you want to build when you're building your guardsmen. Uh, Lars, anything else you want to add uh, before we wrap this bad boy up? Uh, just a slight quibble uh, to your previous statement, if I may. I believe that uh, ogrins are pretty universally regarded. That's true. The same I always think about ogrins. Yeah, yeah. So, so uh, these are abhumans. So they are mutants. The Imperium is okay with as long as they're not, uh, as long as they don't make it an issue, right? Um, and these are these are uh, sort of like these large sort of trollish mutated humans who. Um, sometimes serve as like sort of heavy weapons or, or what have you. Um, and so you have two options there, which would be your Ogrins or your Bulgrins. And Bulgrins are uh, pretty much the one um, actually good melee option for your guard army. Um, and then you have Ogrins, where you take this, uh, this giant overgrown ogre of a man and who, who cannot shoot straight, and you give him... Uh, you, you give him firearms, which just absolutely doesn't play to his strengths. It's a total like misuse of points if you're doing that. So that that is maybe the one single um, option that you're not going to want. That's fair. Uh, and if you are looking for some budget Bulgrin, uh, may I recommend you buy the Age of Sigmar um, uh, Ogres box, just the, yeah. the the basic Ogres box, and then you just give him some sci-fi bits to be representative of being Bulgrim. It's um, like you're, you're perfectly fine on like tray size, model size, all that kind of stuff. You're obviously not getting all the sp Bulgrim specific bits, but it's a much better deal if you want to add some Bulgrim to your army. 
just get the ogre's box and add some appropriate, maybe green stuff or science fictiony bits onto them for some budget bullgrin. <laughs> Alrighty, um, Lars, thank you so much in talking about one of my favorite hobby horses. Oh, and uh, we don't talk science. We, we fuck those fuck those bougie bastards. Fuck them. Fuck them. That, that, <laughs> Thanks that, so much for that. that. That's the official stance of the Sig Marxism is a uh, fuck the t- military tempestuous signs. They're all uh, schoolboys. They're basically like all the worst aspects of like the actual military put into a faction. Anyways, thank you so much, Lars, for <laughs> rattling about uh, fascists and uh, our, our, our beloved um, fascist foot soldiers, uh, the Imperial Guard. So thank you so much, Lars, for coming on. Absolutely. I'm always glad to have somebody who has no choice but to listen to me. Alrighty. Uh, and as always, if you are interested in listening to more episodes, go on to sigmarxism.com. You can find us on iTunes podcast where you can rate and review us. Uh, we are on SoundCloud, uh, Spotify, Stitcher, Google Podcasts, or wherever you prefer to get your podcast. We are there. And if you want to visit the subreddit to argue about Death Corps of Krieg, uh, go to the Reddit uh, Sigmarxism. And if you want to join us in the sub, message one of the moderators in the Sigmarxism subreddit and join us in the Discord where we yell about chuds and liberals all day. Alrighty. My name is Sam, and thank you so much for listening. And as always, Nationalize Games Workshop. Nationalize Games Workshop. Nationalization is cool and good. Or you could roleplay that you're basically just like the foot soldiers of like a horrible fascist army, which you are.